All right, good morning. How are we doing? We just wanted to keep the praise going during the video, all right? That was all. <clears throat> hey, welcome to City Light. Uh, glad that you're here this morning. If you have a Connect card on your seat, please go ahead and fill that out if you are new or if you've been coming and haven't gotten connected yet. We'd love to help you with that. You can give it to us on your way out, and we will give you a gift in exchange. Uh, happy Mother's Day uh, to all the moms out there. A shout out uh, to you wonderful, wonderful ladies who ruled the world. We appreciate you very, very much. Uh, today, um, or yesterday, I also want to see who came to Immerse yesterday. Who, anybody part of our prayer? Yeah, all right, all right. Uh, we prayed and worshiped and sang and worshiped and sang and prayed and read the scriptures and sang and prayed for 12 hours, nine to nine, nine, to nine yesterday. It was just a great time uh, together seeking the Lord. I uh, just want to mention about that, the reminder that the reason why we, we intensify and kind of ramp up some of these things during different seasons, so like 21 days of prayer, seven days that lead to immerse, uh, is so that we can kind of wake up and remember that this is how we're supposed to live our lives. You know, we're supposed to live our lives with an intentional seeking after the Lord. Uh, and so may that intentional time together and the, the emphasis on that remind us to grow in that every day. Uh, that we were made to know him, to love him, that prayer really is the work, and this church will do nothing apart from its connection to prayer to see God do the things that we simply can't do. Uh, and so those are the priorities here. Today, um, as we jump into the word, we're going to take a short break from our more and more series in First Thessalonians uh, to take some time to consider Mother's Day today, uh, both in terms of moms in the homes, but also moms in the house of God. Uh, and what does it look like? Uh, to have spiritual mothers who mother a generation of Jesus followers. Uh, this is what the church is called to do and to be. And obviously, in many ways, this applies to all of us to raise up a generation of people who know and love Jesus. So we're going to consider that. And we're also going to consider what does that look like specifically from mom to child and from woman to woman within the church. So today's message is called One Generation to Another. If you want to open your Bible to Psalm 145. Let's go. All right, we're going to read the first nine verses and hear from the Lord. It says in verse one, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another. They shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. And we'll stop there today. Uh, also, didn't want to forget to give a shout out. Our City Light DC friends are here today. Where are y'all at? Where are y'all? Yeah, they're they're uh, they're in church with us this morning, so we're glad to have y'all uh, here with us today. Uh, it's a word we all need to hear about. What does it look like to live this life as a church? So here's the phrase we want to focus on: One generation shall commend your works to another. This is really the responsibility of a church is to mother and father a generation of Jesus lovers, to mother and father a generation of people who will then mother and father a generation of people who will continue to raise up generation upon generation of people who love, 
who know and who worship God. This is the goal of our lives, this is the goal of our church, and therefore it is also the goal of being a mother, both in terms of having children and in terms of uh, spiritual children and raising up other women to know and to love Jesus. So this is true for all of us. And I want you to consider, I want to give a quick shout out, I want to recognize uh, some of my friends that might be here, uh, who, uh, some people who might be here whose, whose mom dragged them to church today, all right? So she always wants you to go to church with her, but you came because it's Mother's Day today, all right? So uh, you're here, it's Mother's Day, you're here for mom. I just want to say that was very nice of you. I'm glad that you're here today. Uh, and I hope you at least give me 30 minutes of your time to tell you about the purpose of your life and what does it look like to love and to know God and to hear the good news of God's love for you. And so if you're here because of your mom, then you have a great mom and she has brought you here to learn something important. So give me at least 30 minutes of your time and then you can go live the rest of your life, all right? Uh, hear me out, hear me out this morning. Uh, and so I wanna address obviously uh, the whole congregation at large, I wanna address a lot of things, but first a word specifically to mothers uh, today as you consider your life and as you consider what it looks like for you to be a mom. I wanna encourage you first and foremost that the Lord sees you and that he cares about you and that he knows how tired and exhausted you are. I just want to sit there for a second. Yeah, there we go. There we go. I just want to sit there for a second. And just to remind you of something simple. I love one of my favorite verses, Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14 say, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. And so God never gets tired, but he's sympathetic to the fact that you do. He's not high and mighty thinking, well, why can't they just get it together, you know? God cares about the fact that it's hard. He cares about how much hard work you're putting into it. He cares about how uh, confusing and difficult and exhausting it can be. He is there in the midst of it with you. And I want to remind you as well this morning that God is not asking you to be a superhero, but just to be faithful. I know you feel like uh, any good mom does, that you got to put on your superhero cape to handle all the crises of the day and all the things going on in your kids' lives. And it can feel very difficult and burdensome. It's a wonderful privilege, something you enjoy very much. But it's also something that is difficult at times. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says this, It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So God is not looking for you to be a superhero. He's not asking you to be perfect or to get it all right or to get it all together. He's simply asking you to be faithful. You are a steward of something God has given to you, something that you do not own and do not have rights over. It is the Lord's. Every human being is ultimately the Lord's. And you are a steward. God has lended you a child. And you have given stewardship over this child. And I want to encourage you that he's so pleased, God is pleased with you when you are simply acting in faithfulness. And the encouragement to this is all of those little things that make up your days, and this is true for all of us, and it's a true, it gets realized very much so in, in motherhood and parenting, all of those little things that make up your days that feel insignificant, that feel kind of annoying, rub you the wrong way, uh, things that seem like they never end, uh, as you participate in these things, these are all acts of faithfulness. So hear me now. What you call mundane, God calls faithful. This is a very important word switch in your mind. And this is true for mothering, but also obviously true for your life, for any life. To say what you call mundane, 
doing the same things over and over and over and over again, particularly things that don't get noticed, that don't get a big splash behind them. Nobody's clapping you on for that. I want to encourage you, all of you, but especially those of you who are in the trenches of motherhood to say, what you call mundane, God calls faithful. And that's what God has required of you. And that's what he's asking of you. And so word switch in your mind, all of us, the, the, the consistency, the focus, the determination, the motivation that's required for any of us to do the same things over and over and over again, things that don't get attention and things that feel like they're not even working, for you to keep at it and keep at it, God calls that faithfulness. And so what you call mundane, God calls faithful. And so be encouraged this morning that in all those things, what may feel mundane to you and what may feel like it just never ends is an opportunity to exercise faithfulness. Paul also says in Philippians that we ought to put each other before ourselves. He says particularly we should put our needs before other people's needs. And the wonderful thing about parenthood is that this forces this upon you. You no longer have a choice anymore about whether you're going to obey that command or not. It forces it upon you. And so I want to encourage you, especially those mothers who are putting in all the time and the work, uh, putting someone else's needs way, way and above your needs, that the Lord honors that and you're being obedient to Scripture. Every time you put that child's needs above your own and it requires suffering or difficulty or just tiredness on your part is an act of obedience unto God. It is not nothing. It is something extremely significant. I want you to look at your life and everything about it, and I want you to say these three words, this is significant. I want you to write this down, this little principle of life. It's the little things that add up to big things. It's actually the little things that make a lifetime. Life has big moments, but life is filled by the little moments. So here's what that means, is that the little moments are the things making your life. So if the little moments are insignificant, then life is insignificant. It's the little moments that make your life. Most of your life is not some big moment, some big thing with some music behind it, like on a movie, you know, and we enjoy moments like that. But our life is not filled with things like that. Life is filled with just everyday, normal, just stuff. And you're just doing it every day, and you're just trying to help and survive and, and love and serve and feed and all these different things. Children have to eat three times a day. It's amazing. It's amazing how much they need to eat, you know, and not to count the millions of snacks they eat in between all those times. You know, it's a lot. It's a lot. And so I want you to remember how much these little moments are the very things that are creating a whole life. They are not insignificant. As a matter of fact, the little moments are the very things that make life significant. Every time that you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning to hold your screaming child or just crying child or just awake child, you're teaching them about God's ever-present love. You're giving them an example of what does it look like for God to be near when we are having a hard time. Every time that you are patient with difficult behavior, you're teaching them about God's patience, that he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Every time that you take time to get on the ground and play with them, you're simply teaching them about God's delight in them, that he just loves them because he loves them. Therefore, every moment of every day is significant because every moment gives you the opportunity to put some hands and feet on who God is for them. So I want you to think about this. Next time you're changing a diaper, 
And I want you to tell yourself, this is significant. This is significant. The next time you're cleaning up the floor after you just cleaned up the floor, <laughs> you say, this is significant. When you're trying to balance all the things that are going on in your life and get the work stuff done and get the raising of the church, all these things and all these little moments, I want you to tell yourself, the lies are going to come in. This is mundane. This is pointless, blah, blah, blah. And I just want you to use those three words to say, this is significant. So I want you to practice. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is significant, all right? Just practice. This is significant. This is significant. It's the little things in life that make up an entire life. Therefore, the little things in life are significant. What you call mundane, God calls faithful. And God is just asking you to be faithful. He's not asking you to be perfect. The beautiful encouragement is that God will redeem even your mistakes and regrets. Ultimately, the outcome of your children's lives rests on God and not on you. I want to encourage you with this truth. I think I've said many times before. It's true for your whole life, motherhood or not. Outcomes belong to God and obedience belongs to you. You do what you can. You let the rest go. Outcomes belong to God. And this is true for your whole life. You know, it would just simplify everything to say, well, there's no point in having time regretting what has been, and there's no point being worried about what will be. I can't change the past, and God controls the future. So now I simply can be present in this moment, and I can obey God in this moment. And now my whole life has been simplified to this very moment that I'm in, and the fact that all I have to do in this moment is be obedient. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to have it all figured out. I don't have to know how to do everything. Outcomes belong to God and obedience belongs to you. You do what you can. You let God do what he can do. I also want to use this as a word of encouragement to those of you who are moms and maybe you have children that have walked away. Maybe they decided to come to church with you this morning. Maybe there's a lot of pain in your heart about the outcomes of some of the lives of those that you love. And I want to remind you of a couple passages. The first one is in Luke 18, 1 through 5, when there's a widow who's begging for justice with a judge. And he relents and gives her justice. And Jesus says the reason why she got what she asked for was her persistence. She just didn't give up. And I want to encourage you this morning that no matter how hopeless you may feel, God is simply asking you to not give up. Never forget Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son who walked away eventually came to his senses, and when he came back, his father welcomed him with open arms. And this is the opportunity before all of your children who may have walked away. And so do not lose hope. Outcomes belong to God. Obedience belongs to you. And so do what you can today and let God handle the rest. So little things add up to big things. Uh, I want to encourage, uh, especially those of you this morning who are trying to teach your children in these things. Uh, my, I was raised in a Christian household. My mom, uh, I, I remember this very specifically in high school, would all the time, it feels like every day, every time we sat down for breakfast before school, she would read the scriptures to me. Every time. And you know what? I wasn't like, yes, you know, I was, I was I'm going to be a pastor one day. This is going to be helpful. You know, I wasn't thinking any of those things. I was thinking like a 15-year-old, and I was like, this is, why are we doing this? Can we just take a break? Like, can we not do this every day? Like, you know, rolling my eyes or just not paying attention, not answering questions. Uh, and she had a million reasons to just stop doing it because it would just be annoying to keep doing it. But the one thing she didn't do was give up. She just kept reading the scriptures. 
no matter how I responded or what I did or what I looked like or, or how it seemed, she just kept opening the scriptures at breakfast when I was like, can I just eat my bacon, you know? And, and she's like, you're going to eat this word, son, you know, like, I'm going to give this to you. She just kept doing that. And it reminds me, too, of my dad, who I always felt like he was Jesus juking me every day. It'd be like, we're trying to watch basketball, and he'd say something about Jesus, saying, you know, you got to play in, in bounds, you know? And I don't know, the, the word is the bounds of life, you know? He would do something. I'm just like, Lord, can I just watch a basketball game? Like, come on, like, what is going on? Uh, and I would roll my eyes or not pay attention. I would do all the things a good, awesome teenager does. Uh, and now when I look back, though, I have to attribute and love to attribute much of my love for God's word to those days. I do love God's word now. And a lot of it probably has to do with the fact that they didn't quit. I would roll my eyes, and they'd keep reading. And so I want to encourage you this morning that if you plant and water, it is God who brings the growth. So don't change your strategies based off what's happening. Keep planting and keep watering. Keep planting and keep watering. It is a parent's job to plant and to water. And you got to leave it to the Lord to bring the growth. And so I want to encourage you not to give up this morning as you try to raise your children to know the Lord. Here's something for you to consider, and this is no exaggeration. The greatest thing you could ever do for your kids is plant the word of God in their lives and live by it yourself. This is not hyperbole or Christian. This is literally the greatest thing you could ever give your children is to plant the word of God in their life and then live by it yourself so you're not a hypocrite. To say, I believe it, I live by it, I'm going to give this to you. This is the greatest thing you could ever do for your kids. And for any of us, it is the greatest investment you can make in anyone's life. It is the greatest thing you can do for your friends, your family members, your coworkers. This is the greatest possible gift you could ever give anyone is to plant the word of God in their life. Because let me remind you that godliness is better than academics. Godliness is better than athleticism. Godliness is better than musical ability. Godliness is better than getting into the right college. Godliness is better than being successful according to the world's standards. We must raise our children and the generation of under us to be godly. It is better to be godly and live paycheck to paycheck than to be ungodly and be the CEO of a successful business. What are we raising our children to become? Better to be godly and go to community college than to be ungodly and get a full ride to a prestigious university. It's better to be godly and unpopular at school than to be ungodly and the most popular person in their class. It is better to be godly with just average skills in life than to be ungodly and to be the best at their craft. But how many of us can train our kid to hit a ball, but they can't speak a verse. Now listen, this is so important because we have to train, we have to teach them that the greatest thing that you can be is godly, but the world around us is trying to train children to be successful in the world, which makes sense, but then the church has gotten sucked into that, where all of a sudden the greatest thing my kid can be is an exceptional athlete? and win a championship and be depressed the next morning? Now listen, I love sports, okay? 
I'm not over here telling you to be extreme and just to wake up and meditate all day, all right? Home, you know. I love sports. When we finished Immerse last night, I went home and I watched the rest of the Warriors game, okay? That's how I closed my night, all right? There's nothing wrong with that. I'm a big fan. I grew up playing sports. I love doing things like that. I would like my kids to play sports. I signed them up for things, okay? My family is very involved in activities, all right? They don't just come home and read the Bible every day after school, all right? We're normal. We're involved in things, okay? So I'm not telling you this crazy thing, but I am telling you that you need to get it in the right order to say, okay, cool. Be good at basketball. Be good at music. Be smart and go to school. Great. Put your hard work into all that, but don't care about that more than being God. And don't train them to love worldly success more than godliness. Do we really believe that, though? Better to be godly and poor than to be ungodly and rich. Do you believe that? Better to be godly and an outcast than to be ungodly and famous. If we really believe that, then we would begin to prioritize godliness as the training ground for our homes to say the greatest thing I could ever give my children and the greatest thing this church can do for the next generation is teach them to be godly. Let me give you a verse for this. 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8 says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. You could add in there, train others for godliness. For while bodily training, exercising, studying, practicing, is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise, why is godliness valuable? It holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And to my friends whose moms dragged them here who don't wanna be here, I'm here to tell you that I want you to have something good, not just for this life, but for the life to come. God brought you here to hear the good news that the greatest thing you cannot be is successful. There's something better in this life for you. And most importantly, there's an option in the afterlife that's much better for you. And that's what God brought you here to learn this morning. So why is godliness the greatest benefit? Simply because it's the longest one. Look at it. It has present, it has promise for this life and the life to come. So godliness outlasts every other thing. To say, well, uh, if you're really good at basketball, you can be good at basketball till some point, and eventually even LeBron James is going to retire, you know? All his work is going to go into something that he can't do anymore. And so you say, it has a, it has a point, it has a, a top point to say, well, you can be as successful as you can be, and eventually you have so much money, you don't even know what to do with it anymore, and then what? It doesn't do anything for you. What this is saying and ultimately saying is that no matter how successful you can be on this earth, godliness is better now. And then also godliness is the thing because of faith in Jesus. It's going to allow you to be happy forever. So you may be successful and be happy for a few moments on this earth and then suffer forever because you were trained to just focus on worldly success. Or you can suffer a little bit now and then be happy forever because you spent your time being godly. This is what the offer on the table is for us this morning, and especially for those of you who don't know Christ. He's inviting you in to not only enjoy life now, but to have life eternal in him. The way that happens is that Jesus died for all your ungodliness. He went to the cross because you and I are ungodly. 
And because we have sin, he died and rose again. And if we believe in him, we can have this thing called eternal life, which means we can be happy forever. This is the offer on the table that Jesus is giving you this morning. This is the reason your mom dragged you here or your wife or your grandma or whatever wonderful woman convinced you to come in here this morning with them. That you would hear this wonderful offer, that you would not get sucked into this world's temptations to find all your life in this world and then come up empty at the end. Because what does it say here? I love this. The Bible is so good. It says it holds promise. Here's something for you right now. Godliness holds promise, not wishes. Godliness comes with guarantees. Godliness holds promises, not wishes, meaning that the training to be godly is attached to a promise of guaranteed results. Every other thing in life is attached to a wish. You could train all you want and wish you would be more successful. You can hope it turns out, but it's just a wish. But godliness comes with promises that are sure, things that will definitely happen, things that are promised to you. So godliness holds promises, but the world gives you wishes. And so now are you giving your kids promises or wishes? Are you blessing them with promises to say, if you do it this way, I guarantee certain results and outcomes that will be sure for you. Or if you do it this way, I just have a wish and maybe a hope that it'll turn out for you. But then we know even if you made it to the top, you would get there like the world says with all the money, the fame and success and ask, is there something else? You know, it's like, what path are we leading the next generation on? Because then they're going to get there and think, what? This isn't what they told me would happen. Godliness holds promises. Worldliness holds wishes. And the question for you and me as parents, but also as mothers, and then also as spiritual mothers and fathers in this church, is are we giving promises or are we giving wishes to our children and to the next generation. Now, the only way we're going to do this effectively is if we live it first ourselves, as mothers, as fathers, as spiritual leaders, mentors, as people in the church, Christ followers. Here's something simple, you know this truth, that we pass on what we prioritize. We pass on what we prioritize. You know, as they say often, values are caught, not taught. Now, they're both, so that's a bad phrase, really, because you should teach them, too. But the idea is that, obviously, they're more caught than taught. And so if you want to train others to be godly, the question is, do you train yourself to be godly, you know? I was reading, I am reading this interesting book. Uh, I think it's called Passing Down the Faith. I couldn't remember in the last service either. I should have looked it up. But uh, it's on my nice stand. It's called uh, Passing Down the Faith or something like that. But it's more of like academic research about how religious traditions pass down uh, their religion to the next generation. So it's not, it's not just Christian, it's all the things. Just how do religious people uh, pass it down and then how do they do so successfully? Uh, and the really interesting thing as I began to read, and there's a lot of different factors to this and I think it's, I think it's fascinating, but one of the main pieces of transformation that allows a, a parent to pass down the faith to a child is not whether they go to church, but whether they like being there. You think about that for a second. It's not, so that's like, that's a first. So you say you have parents who, who don't practice anything, so they're not going to pass anything down. Then there's parents and people who practice 
um, religion, church, they do things like that, service. But then you have the group of people who do it and like doing it, you know? And a, a, good, uh, a good example of it was like, okay, is, is the dad in church? Check, okay. Is he singing? Check, okay. Is he happy to sing? Check, okay. Is he meeting people? Like, is he engaged or is he on his phone? And this is why all the time I talk about participation in the services. Because we're training everyone around us, especially when our kids are in here for the first two songs. I would prefer not to disciple them out of Christianity by the fact that we look bored while we're doing this, you know. Which I don't think we do. And so it's an encouragement, not a rebuke. But it's the reminder here that you have to prioritize this for yourself so that your children will prioritize it for themselves. It's not just whether you're doing the right things, but whether you like it. Is mommy happy at at church? Do I ever see mommy reading her Bible, you know, at home? Does she ever tell me anything about what Jesus has done for her life? Same with dad. And then just same with spiritual mothers and fathers. It's not whether you're here. It's whether you're happy to be here. It's not whether you believe these things on Sunday, but whether you believe them in your home throughout the week. There was a huge difference between people that went to church and people that practiced it in the home. A dramatic difference in terms of whether the children kept following the same traditions. And so I want to encourage you this morning. You know, we did a whole series on worship. And uh, everybody has a different personality and culture, and that's understandable, and I get it. And I'm not expecting everybody to be the same person when we're in here. That would be ridiculous. But I do think, Jesus paid it all all to him I owe. I think that communicates something. It's not very uh, persuasive to say, oh, oh, my parents really believe that. Yeah, oh, you know, okay, yeah, cool. You know, the pastor's preaching and you're kind of like, oh, you know. I, I just want us to know that our body language is communicating something. It's saying something about what we believe. Our engagement with the Lord. And remember, some of, us, some of y'all love to wild out. And if you would just run around here if, you know, you would just love to do that. And some of y'all are just like, huh, you know, and you're more chill, which is totally fine. But the question is, are you engaged? You know, and I want you to remember as we come to a service, we are discipling one another. You didn't come here just to hear a sermon. We came here for mutual discipleship. So as you engage, as you pursue and love the Lord, other people's hearts are encouraged. But if you look bored, then other people are less encouraged. You see what I'm saying? Your participation matters so much. And I think we have been uh, misinformed Or we just get used to a different way of church where you just come in and you watch something happen. And I want to encourage you this morning that not only are we discipling the next generation, but we are discipling others. And the biggest question about what we are doing is not whether we are here, but whether we like being here. Not whether we believe in Jesus on Sunday, but whether we believe in him every other day of the week. And this is what it looks like to pass down our faith to the next generation The truth of the matter is this, and this is a simple thing for you to write down, is that Jesus should not just be part of our life, but the priority of our life. And this might be the transition for some of you, to say, yeah, Jesus is a part of my life, but he's not the priority of my life. I wonder if you asked your kids, 
what do you think is most important to me? What they would say. Just most important. Now, give you a little bit of break. They're kids. They might say ice cream, you know, because ice cream is important, you know, and especially that's how my wife loves to wind down the day, you know. I'm not a big ice cream person, believe it or not. But I'd rather a box of Sour Patch Kids. I'm like a five-year-old, okay? That's what I, that's what I would prefer. But we have to move from Jesus being a part of our life to being the priority of our life. If we want to see real spiritual transformation and growth from generation to generation. It's worth considering, and it's a thought worth thinking about more, is to say, is it obvious to my children? Is it obvious in my home? And just keep going. Is it obvious to my friends? Is it obvious to my extended family? Is it obvious at work? Is it obvious to everyone I know that Jesus is the most important thing about my life? Is it obvious? This is something that you pass down whether you realize it or not because you're either communicating that it's sort of important or the most important. You know, one of the reasons why... uh, We'll do family worship in, in the crew house. And I want to do something real quick to help you, especially those of you who are trying to raise up your children in this way. I want to demystify the idea that a pastor gets down with his kids and they all sit with their legs crossed and say, teach us, Father. You know, What's, what is the Bible study this morning? How can we participate, Father? Yes, yes, Father. Yeah, I would love. Can we do two of those this morning, Father? Yeah, you know. Y'all, you think that, do not think that is what is happening in my home, okay? When we get together to open the word in the morning, which I would love if we did every day, but it's probably more like three or four times a week, reasonably, and we get together, and uh, one of the kids might put on rollerblades, and he's rollerblading around the house while he's listening. You can probably guess which one, if you know my family, while he's listening to what's going on. You got kids that are poking each other, you know, you know? I'm like, you're supposed to be watching me and you're bothering your sister. Stop fighting, you know? And then you get mad while you're leading family worship. You know, it's real. It's real. And the joke is I'll say, be respectful to God, you know? I'm like, man. Yeah, it's crazy, okay? And so, you know, they're not paying attention. You ask a follow-up question and nobody knows the answer. And one kid's picking his nose and the other one's on his head in the, in the couch, you know? And one of them's rolling his eyes. The other one's falling down on the floor just like falling out. There might be one here and there that's paying attention. It's absolute chaos. I mean, the joke is that family worship's not very worshipful. It's not, you know, and, and, uh, and it's just messy. It's super messy. And so for you parents, you know, I always encourage you just to try, so like, what does it mean to like raise my kids up? It means just do something, anything, like just, just do anything. Share a verse. Uh, talk about the Lord uh, when you're walking around. Pray with them at night before they go to bed. Here's, I have no idea sometimes what my kids are learning, but I do know this. They know that Jesus is important to daddy. And they know that Jesus is the most important thing to mom. And they can roll their eyes and they cannot pay attention and they cannot remember anything I taught them, but they will remember that daddy didn't just go to church. Daddy loved Jesus. And that's what the Lord is calling us into, is just to do what you can to make sure your kids know, man, mom and dad, whoever's in here in this house, we love Jesus. And so what would it look like for you to begin rhythms in your household, as messy as they can be, as chaotic as they can be, as difficult as they can be, 
Listen, I'm a pastor. I study the Bible. I went to seminary, and I still have a hard time trying to explain things to my kids, all right? So just don't worry about it. Just try your very best. Just do something, and the Lord will bless it. We pass on what we prioritize. Do your children, and does the younger generation in this church know that we simply love Jesus? Not only is this true for our homes, but also within the household of God, as we talked about mothering children, but also spiritual mothers of a generation of Christ followers. So Titus 2 speaks to this, verses 3 and 4 say, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women. So in the broader context of making disciples, how does the church function? How do we love one another and serve one another well? A big part of it, in a specific way this happens, is women training women, spiritual mothers, mothering a generation of Christ followers. And he's going to do this to apply it to men as well. And really a lot of Titus is how, does the, how do pastors lead, then how do men and women function, all these different things, and how do they pass on the faith basically to the next generation. The Lord is calling the women here in City Light Church uh, to do this work of raising up a generation of women who love God. This is your challenge and your call as being a part of this church. And there are a lot of practical ways to do it. We have kids ministry, youth ministries, young adult ministries, lighthouses where you can meet in groups and discuss things. We have women's groups, all these different things. Uh, the main idea is to just get involved and to be mothered by someone and to mother someone else for the sake of the gospel. To fulfill the calling on your life to be a spiritual mother and for us as a church to mother a generation of Christ followers. This is the privilege and the call of every woman here at City Light. And as we're going to see on Father's Day, the, the challenge of every father, every man to father a generation. The Lord has put this before you. And so the question is, are you beginning to walk in that calling to be a mother to a generation of people and women who need Jesus? And listen, I want to encourage you in the culture that we're in that can't even define what a woman is. That if you don't train women on how to be godly women, then who else is going to train them? The stakes are high. If we don't teach men how to be godly men, what does it look like to be a man in turn in God's eyes, not culture's eyes, not stereotypes, none of that? What does it look like to be a godly man? If we don't do that, then who's going to do that? And if the women don't rise up and say, well, this is what it looks like to be a godly woman. This is what a woman is in God's eyes. And this is what God has called a woman to be and to serve and to live and to love and to do all of these things. If we don't do that, the world will do that. You see the stakes. They're very high. And it is our responsibility to mother and father a generation of women, of boys and girls who can grow up to be men and women who love Jesus. And I want you to feel the burden of that at some level on you and the obligation to participate in that work. Because if we don't disciple them, the world will. And that's not going to work out very good for them. So how do we move forward to do this? Two final things as we close. It's very simple. You say, okay, what do I do? What do I do? Well, it's, in this passage, you see two simple things. He says in verse 5, I will meditate. On your wondrous works, I will meditate. 
So number one is you just delight in who God is, okay? Practice delighting who God is. You will pass on what you prioritize. And so the first thing you need to do is train yourself to be godly. And so continue to meditate and to delight in everything that God is, everything he has been for you. I mean, this is why we do things like restore and immerse just to be in God's presence and to delight in who he is. We want to know him. These verses alone say the Lord is good, gracious, loving, and merciful, just in a few verses. And if you just sat down and thought for 10 minutes how wonderful, merciful, loving, and good God has been to you, your heart would be so full of who God is that it would spill out into your children. It would spill out into those you're training and discipling. It would spill out at work and in through friend circle and everywhere that you go. So this is for all of us, but especially now as we discuss women mothering a generation of Christ followers to delight in who God is. The second thing is to declare what God has done. Look at this. It says in verse 4, one generation shall command what? Your works to another. They shall declare your mighty acts. And so the Lord is calling you to give constant witness and testimony to who God is and what God has done. This is what we declare as we are a people who declare things to say, when the Lord died on the cross and he rose from the grave, and if you believe in him, you'll be saved. And then you go personal and say, well, the Lord pulled me up out of that pit, man. The Lord provided exactly when I needed. The Lord was faithful when I was down. The Lord has brought me through. The Lord has been there with me. And you're constantly giving testimony and witness to the great things God has done. This is what we do even when we gather to look at each other and say, how God is so good. God is so faithful. God has been this way for me. Let me speak to you about my experience. And so part of the, the DNA of mothering and fathering a generation is simply to be a people who are always giving testimony to what God has done, how faithful God has been and who God is. So if you move forward from here and you simply take steps to delight in who God is and declare what God has done, you will not only raise up children in your home but all of the women, the wonderful, awesome, Jesus-loving, strong, mighty, in the name of Jesus, women here at City Light, will declare what God has done, and we'll see another generation of women raise up who aren't confused like the world, but who are strong, stable, secure in God's love. This is what the Lord is calling us into. And so the greatest thing any of us can be is godly. If you're here today, and like I said, you are not a Christ follower, he is calling you in now. You cannot earn godliness. You cannot work for godliness. You cannot go to church to be godly. Godliness is a gift that Jesus gives to you through faith in him. And if you want to receive that gift through faith in Jesus today, you can simply cry out to him and repent from your sins and trust him. And he would love to make you one of his own children and be your lovely father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. For your love, we thank you, Lord, for the gift that you've given us of wonderful women to raise up, women who know and love you. Lord, I know Mother's Day can come with so many things, happy feelings, sad feelings, lots of pain, lots of loss, lots of good memories, lots of bad ones, lots of struggle, lots of joy. And so I just pray that you would minister to each heart, Lord. I do pray that you would Comfort those who are mourning on a day like today, that you would bless them with your love and your comfort and your presence. I pray, Lord, that those who are joyful and happy would do so unto you, Lord, that our thanksgiving would be to you. I pray that every mom would feel honored and loved, that they would be encouraged to continue the good work you've given them to do. And I pray that you would allow us at City Light to be a place that raises up a generation of women to know and to love you. 
And so, Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for all you've done for us. We worship you. We declare your mighty acts now as we sing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's respond to the Lord.